You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Caitlin is going to read our scripture for us. Tonight's scripture reading comes from Acts 9, 36 through 43. In Joppa, there is a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called her for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Caitlin, for reading that. Thank you, worship team, and thank you, Drew, for leading us in confession tonight. Um, my name is Keith Case, and so glad to have you all here tonight on Mother's Day. Um, I um, had my life really flipped upside down when uh, my wife, Amy, became a mother. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in the South, in Tennessee, in, in a family that, uh, you know, the guys... We were like, you know, tough guys. We made all the decisions, and that was kind of the way that I was taught, like from a family standpoint. And then I culturally, very much it was similar, and then I went to an all-boys high school that told me that we were like the greatest school in the world, and that also being a guy was the greatest thing in the world as well. Um, so I had a lot going for me there as far as uh, what I believed about myself and about men and our roles in this world. And... Um, and it affected my theology as well, uh, because I was a part of a denomination that uh, did not ordain women, did not have women pastors, did not have women elders. And, um, but I will tell you that you know, there was other things, but when I saw my wife give birth, that flipped the world upside down. Uh, and, and I've told people more in depth about the story, but... 
I swear when I left that room, I could walk around and I could look in other men's eyes and I could see if they were there or not. If they had seen what I had seen, if their worlds had been uh, flipped upside down like that. And in our faith, in the Christian faith, it's interesting because uh, one of the most transformational things that's ever happened in history, we point to the cross. A place where our Lord and Savior is stripped bare, he's, he's, he's completely naked, uh, he's, he's powerless, he's stretched out on a cross, completely made vulnerable. And um, from that most vulnerable act, uh, we believe that the world is being transformed. And it reminded me, that vulnerability reminded me of my wife giving birth. That this is the way new life comes into the world in such a vulnerable, vulnerable way. Life and death. Life and death. Um, it was so, so powerful and transformative for me. Um, you know, Jesus has this whole way of, of flipping the world upside down for us. And as we continue to celebrate Easter and the resurrection, um, you know, again, that's this, this place where we come to the tomb. We come to this place where we expect to find death. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, we all face death on our own. You know, even, even if we're surrounded by loved ones, it's you and death one day. And, and yet, while we come there thinking that that's what we will experience, and that's all we'll experience, Jesus flips side upside down to show us on the, on the other side that we're going to experience incredible connection like we've never experienced in our lives, that it's going to lead to new community and restoration of all things that we've longed for uh, our whole lives, as Jesus is flipping uh, things upside uh, down for us. And tonight, I want to talk to us about uh, the power of the resurrection, not just for what it means for us individually uh, and maybe for loved ones you have, but, but what it means for community. That resurrection is a communal thing, and it is for the community. It is a restoration of the community. Um, one of the mo most famous mothers that ever lived in, in our lifetime was a woman who had no children. Uh, they called her Little Flower, and she spent most of her time in India, spent most of her time in Calcutta uh, with people who were dying. A woman who believed deeply in the resurrection, a woman who believed deeply uh, in uh, Jesus' life and, and his, his giving his life up for others. And, and Mother Teresa spent the majority of her life anchored in her heart and soul so deeply in the resurrection and spent the majority of her time uh, helping people, caring for people as they face death. And you wonder, how, how does a woman, you know, how, how, how does anybody spend so much time with people in death? And, and, and why? Why would you give your life to, to helping people, caring for people as they take their last breaths? That she understood something about the resurrection, something about the gospel uh, that so often maybe evades us. And Mother Teresa said this about herself, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. But she saw herself as small, something almost insignificant, a little pencil. 
And she saw her, her um, focus, her, her investment in the city of Calcutta and then more intensely in the poor and more intensely in those who were dying. And so her focus was very, very narrow. And yet her reach, her, her global impact uh, spanned obviously the world. And, and there are political leaders who say that she was the most powerful woman uh, in whom they've ever been in the presence of. That she had such a presence uh, to her. As we come to our text tonight, and we talk about this idea of resurrection, and we think about this idea of God bringing people back to life, I go, man, Lord, could we bring back Mother Teresa? I mean, she's like at the top of the list, you know? It's like, if, if we could just bring her back, if we could just learn from her. And in verse 36... Uh, we're back in this little town called Joppa, this little port city. Uh, Drew last week mentioned that uh, Jonah went there. You know, he was called to go and, and preach the gospel uh, to his enemies, this enemy city. And instead he goes to Joppa and he's trying to get away from God. He's trying to get away from the call God has on his life. And this is where Luke brings us. He brings us back to the city of Joppa. And I think that as we listen to the text tonight, we see that the thing begins to open up. And in many ways, the story of Jonah now comes around and it starts opening up even in the life of Peter. And we'll get to that uh, later in the uh, text. But here we are in Joppa, this port city. It, that's a, in some ways more of an um, unstable town. It's, it's a lot of trade, people coming and going. Uh, there's newcomers all the time. And there in that place, we find this woman named Tabitha, also named Dorcas. Uh, just commend you that if you're moved by this story, please don't call your daughter Dorcas because I have a friend who was called that and it, she suffered greatly from it. Um, so there's other names like Tabitha. Stick with Tabitha for now, okay? Uh, so, so Tabitha is this woman and she's a disciple in, in, in Jewish so the Jewish faith at that time, this is a radical thing because a Jewish woman wouldn't be allowed to be a disciple. So, so the world is again flipping. It's starting to flip upside down. Uh, and, and we see that Jesus is doing something here to turn the tables. And this morning uh, in church, we recognize Megan Alstein, who is an intern at Memorial. And, uh, but I know Brittany's here tonight. And if you don't understand that in the theological, the professional religious world, that the, the tables are still being turned, that the world is still being flipped upside down. Just ask Brittany, uh, Dr. Melton, ask her about her experience as a woman in the theological world. Ask her how many other female faculty there are, how many other female students there are. Ask about their experience of what it's like to be in that space that is predominantly still male-dominated. But Jesus is turning. He's turning things. And we find this woman, Tabitha, being a part of that. <clears throat> and we know about her that she's always doing good. She's always doing good works. And she's giving alms. And, and I would go so far as to say that if we were to bring Tabitha here tonight, that um, I, I would guess that she was going to be a pretty successful woman. 
She was going to be a businesswoman. She was going to be a fashion designer. And the reason I say that is because that she has established herself in an unstable city, in a, city, a port city, that she has established herself not only in her work, so much so that she's able to give alms and give extra, always doing good work, but that she's become an anchor, a pillar for that community, that people are, she's known and people are coming to her. Whether you buy that or not, the point is that she is a woman who has accomplished great things for the community, that people are coming to her and know her. And as James points out uh, later in his letter in the New Testament, that she really understood what it means to worship God, that true and undefiled religion or true and undefiled worship is caring for widows and orphans. That she's living out the call of what it meant to be a woman of God, a human for God. And this is the woman that we see alive and active. And she has claimed her identity uh, both as a loved one, as a work of art and an artist. And she knows the story of generosity so deeply. It is in her bones that it is pouring out of her in her life. And this is the person, verse 37, that gets sick and dies. This is the person who gets sick and dies. And Jesus has done already corrective work for us in that realm. When somebody gets sick or someone is born blind and and the religious people are saying, "What what did the father do to deserve this sin on his child? That there's this equation with sickness and the judgment of God. And God, again, is showing us through this life of this woman that that's not how it works. You can't make those equations. This is a woman who is righteous, a woman who is living her life uh, in in such a way that the people are uh, being touched by her life. And she's the one who gets sick and dies. And they take her to the upper room and light us 10 miles away. And people run to get Peter. Urgently, Peter, come to see this woman. Some of you know that when I was a teenager in high school, I used to go to Jamaica a lot, and it's one of my favorite places in the world. And when we were there, we used to work in this place called the infirmary, and the infirmary was a place where people would take their loved ones when they couldn't care for them anymore. These are often people who, families who are living in abject, abject poverty. They cannot, uh, they don't have the resources and, and I was there, I was in high school, and I went, and there was a man sitting on a bench under a shade tree, and, and I made my way over to him and began a conversation, and it wasn't long before I realized that the man had no fingers, that his hands had turned into balls, and that he had uh, burns all over his body. He had epilepsy, and he was a farmer, and while he was clearing his crops, burning them, He had a seizure and fell into one of the fires. Now I'm in high school and I I look down at this man's arm and there's probably two to three inches of bone that is not covered by skin. This is like chicken bone. And I just started praying, like crying inside, trying not to cry in front of this man, but praying like, God, have mercy I had never seen anything like this before. I'm just like, God, please have mercy on this man. And I asked him if I could pray for him. And I start praying for him. He said, sure. And he starts telling me more of his story. And we keep praying and praying and praying. And later that day, I find out, I lived in Chattanooga at the time, that 
Uh, they were working to get this man back to my hometown of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Air Jamaica was going to give him a free flight. And uh, the country of Jamaica was going to take care of his paperwork because he had none. And the U.S. was going to let him come in. And this hospital in my hometown called Memorial, which was right down the street from my high school, was going to care for him, let him stay there for free. And all these doctors were going to do reconstructive surgery. So like God moved the world in a way uh, for this man. And I'm this high school student. I've never seen anything like a miracle before in my life. I'm kind of a young Christian. This is like the closest I've ever gotten to something like that. And I'm telling my friends at high school, who some of them are not Christians, about this whole story. And then I would take them from our high school to this guy's hospital room to meet him. It was wild. It was wild. At some point during all of that journey for me, I began to think about what it was that took me to Jamaica in the first place. Maybe it was my love for reggae music. Maybe it was uh, that I had gotten really interested in Caribbean history. Who knows exactly what it was. But what I started to, to think about and really, I guess, realize was that there were these people throughout my encounters overseas who were crying out to God. That if you go back to the story of Israel in their slavery, that these people who are uh, disempowered, these people who are being oppressed, that they cry out and it says God heard their cries and he sends them Moses. He sends them a deliverer. That God uh, moves the world through the cries of people. And Peter here is a kind of a celebrity in Christianity, right? Uh, in some denominations more than others, but he's considered this really significant figure, really significant figure. And Peter's 10 miles away, but his life is getting ready to be moved by 10 miles. And it's not when we have cars, this is like a 10 mile trip on foot. His life is gonna be changed. His life is gonna be now uh, tied up in this woman's life, in this woman's story. And what is it that will move Peter 10 miles from Lida all the way over to Joppa? What is it? It's the cries of these unnamed widows. We don't even know their names. That this is the heart of God. That God hears the cries of the people. And he moves his people in accordance And when Peter gets there and he sees the women crying in the upper room, what is it that they begin to present to him? Clothes, tunics and garments for widows. God is moving the life of Peter. He's moving his church history. He's moving all of these things for these widows to have clothes. Their tears is what he sees, but the, the clothes is what he can touch and feel. That they're being presented like, do something, Peter. Look at how much she loves us. And Peter drops to his knees because he knows who has the power to bring back life from death. And he prays. He prays for God to bring this woman back to life. And he says to her, get up. 
rise up, Tabitha. And Tabitha rises up. And Peter brings her to the disciples and he brings her to the other people there, but he especially brings her where? To the widows. He brings her to the widows. And this is what I want us to see tonight when we think about resurrection is that maybe in your life the way resurrection was presented to you if you grew up in the church or if you've been around church a bit is that it's something for you to have hope about your own personal life. Or maybe you've been to a funeral and you've heard about somebody dying and they, the promise of the resurrection is kind of comforting for that person that died. But there's a whole other aspect of resurrection that we miss. If we don't understand that when God brings Tabitha back to life, it's not just for Tabitha. It's for the community. That when he brings her back to life, the first person that he wants her to really see are the widows. The people she was making clothes for. It's like this. Tabitha, rise up, sister. It's time to get back to work. Is that exciting? (laughs) It's not often how we talk about the resurrection. We think, oh, like, you know, you die and then like you go to sleep with the angels and it's like toilet paper, puffy clouds and all this kind of stuff, right? But no, like the resurrection is bringing you back to life, to serve and to love and to work. It's what you were made for. This is eternity. It's a picture of it. That these widows who cried out, they stay unnamed, but that God hears their cries, that he hears their longings. They had tasted death before already. Now they taste it again. And God says, I hear your cries. And I come to you. And I bring this woman back to life. So you can keep that fashion going. You can keep that fashion going. It's resurrection for the community, for the city. And now these women will have clothes again. She brings so much life to her community. We've talked about this issue a lot here at our church, and it's the number one issue facing our county, facing our city, is affordable housing. It's something that was affecting this uh, community before COVID, but has been exacerbated during COVID. The neighborhood I live in on the South End, and many of you live in as well, uh, was just written about in Bloomberg as like the number one uh, growth in value for properties of any neighborhood in the country, which may be great for uh, Keith and may be great for some people who own houses there, but what about for the people who don't? who live in our county? What about for the people here in our church? And a couple of weeks ago, uh, June, who attends our church, a single mother, and she was moving, and she needed some help. And so Brian uh, Rosenberg sitting there on the back row, and uh, Loy Anderson, a couple other people went and helped June move. And while they were doing that, I I was just thinking about Brian doing that. I was thinking about him as a realtor. I was thinking about Taylor Gooley as a realtor. And I was thinking about the ways in which they've already been caring for people and loving people and serving people in the real estate world. And I began to think, man, what if we could start a team with these guys to help people here in our church, 
that don't own a house but want to stay here in West Palm Beach. They love West Palm Beach. They want to stay here. It's a theme that's coming up over and over again for people. And with them at the helm that we could build a team around them that could begin to start that conversation of how could it be that if you live in this city and you're one of the vulnerable people who may not be able to afford housing here, that we could figure out, not that we're the only ones, but that we could help partner, connect to figure out how can you stay here? How can you find rentals? How can you find a house that potentially you could afford? How can we get creative with financing and things like that? See, because when you begin to really have felt needs in your community and you begin to have somebody like Tabitha step up and begin to serve in that way, it begins to transform lives. People are like, oh man, this is really good news. Not just some theoretical thing, but this is a reality thing. This is a game changer for my life. And I wonder if God might raise that up here in our church. And not just for our church, but that we could partner around our city for this issue. It is a prayer. And he may call us to cross into, cross over lines and into communities and maybe boundaries that maybe churches aren't necessarily comfortable with at times. But he calls us to serve and to love that the resurrection isn't just for us, but it's for the city. You know, and there's this one line here at the end of our text, and it's one that many people would probably just pass right over. It goes that Peter goes to the house of Simon the Tanner. And that word tanner is the word that really matters because to be a tanner meant that you were religiously, ceremonially unclean because you dealt with dead animals. So for religious Jewish people, they could not be in contact with that person. Peter goes there. And if you've read more of the story, you know that this is when Peter has the dream of the unclean and the clean uh, meets. And God says to him, don't call anything unclean that I have cleaned. And it's from this house that he will be sent other people come there from Cornelius, a Roman uh, soldier. A Roman soldier will come and send for Peter from that house and Peter will go to that house and talk to them about the resurrection, talk to them about the life of Jesus and this enemy of the state, if you will, will be baptized, will be captured by the power of the resurrection transform his life, transform his house. That we would be a church involved in such work of crossing lines for the sake of our city and our community. Would you pray with me? Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit ProvidenciaWPB.org and click on the Give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, 
and have a blessed day.